HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Gusiamo.com, an online company specializing in bringing real Italian ingredients made by good Italian farmers and food makers to pantries all over the United States. Gustiamo.com is offering free shipping to the Food Scene listeners on their entire website through the 2017 holiday season. At checkout, just use Gusti code THEFOODSCENE. Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with David Tannis. And, you know, I've long been a fan of your articles in the New York Times, your books like A Platter of Figs, but this new compendium, and by compendium, I mean one of the largest, most in-depth books I've seen about market cooking ever, is is just a joy, Uh, if not, you know, uh, a workout to carry around because of its size and and width. I like the word... uh I like the word. Yeah. Compendium. Yeah. yeah. It, it truly is in, in this way that I find a lot of books about fresh ingredients not because there is this culture of market cooking in France and I won't try to butcher the phrase, but can you please tell me what that's called? Cuisine du marché. And, and what exactly is the philosophy of that? What is, what is the dogma behind that kind of cooking? It's not exactly dogmatic. It's just like a normal way to live. You, you know, the, the marketeers come to the market. You go to the market. You look. You see what looks good, um, and uh, you take it home and cook it. That's that's the dogma. Maybe it was so refreshing to read because of the normality of it, or or wanting to have normality in our lives. But you know, so many people got away from that or never experienced that in their lives. Yeah. And uh, you were just telling me before recording that you were born in Ohio, but you really think of yourself as a New Yorker. Why is that? Well, I think by all rights, I should have been born in New York. I don't know whether I... Since I've only lived in New York now for about six years, I, I, I'm probably not nearly ready to be accepted as a real New Yorker. But uh, but my mother was born here, so that counts for something, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But then being born in the Midwest, is, is that your upbringing? Is that your rearing in that belt of corn and commodity? Uh, well... Um, uh, <laughs> Midwestern uh, something or other, yes, but, you know, it was the 60s when I was growing up, and uh, it was all about frozen food and convenience food and um, and that sort of thing. Uh, 
So I grew up on a lot of that, but I also grew up on, you know, home-cooked meals every night and uh, pretty decent fare. Uh, so w when did that Manifest Destiny out west actually happen? I, you got to work at the Mecca, you know, uh, Chez Panisse, Alice Waters, Berkeley, and, and that scene of the 70s. But was it food that brought you out there, or was it food that found you and made you stay there? I wasn't really intending to pursue a life in food. I knew I liked to eat, and I I was beginning to discover that I uh, that I liked to cook. Um, but I thought I was he headed in more sort of you know the arts direction. Some you know I don't know literature, drama, visual arts, that or some combination of the three. <laughs> uh, at least when I, you know, when I was young and dreaming about it, um, but in 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 fact, I ended up being a, a cook professionally. There's still, a lot of all of those the arts are involved in the process of, especially if you drama, <laughs> especially if you're working in a restaurant. You yeah. Know? So you know, it's like putting on a show every day, um, and uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, visual expression, certainly food gives you that. I mean, working with food gives you a way to express yourself visually as well as, as well as, you know, express yourself with the, uh, the ability to make it taste good. Do you remember that first dish? It may not have been your own recipe, but that you played it in a way that you felt like was your own, was expressing you in a very personal way? I don't know whether I could name that dish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but was there an instance in your career where you felt like it was your food rather than food you were cooking for somebody else? I <laughs> mean, uh, my way rather than somebody else's way? I yeah. Don't, I don't know. Um, uh, it's hard to say. Because you have such a distinct David Tennis touch. Or at least I believe that when I see the imagery in your books and here you kind of wax poetic about why you make the choices that you do. So I, I feel like at some point in your career, you created a dogma for yourself as well. And whether or not it's related to market cooking as a whole, there's something distinct about your cooking style. Well, it, but, but it's not, I'm not doing anything new. I'm really not. I mean, I, there's nothing earth shattering uh, in this book. I'm not talking about anything that, um, that hasn't already been said or, or done before. Because, uh, I mean, it's, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to go crazy about it, but um, uh, you, bring, you bring to your food what, you know, sort of part of your own experience, and then, and then there's history, and then there's uh, culture. And somehow, I ended up immersing myself in a kind of a food culture that uh, that felt good, and having navigated, you know, sort of toward that Berkeley scene at that moment in time, that didn't hurt. But I mean, just the whole European sensibility uh, kind of felt normal to me, you know. And that is it is a little bit of a European sensibility about uh, you know cultivating the person that cultivating. Well, I mean. <laughs> Cultivating your farmer, yeah, uh, or or getting to know your your butcher, and they get to know you as well. 
there's all this social interaction that happens at the market as well. Well, I also think it's about that that kind of baseline level of essential ingredients as well, and being able to respect those elementally. Um, and you do that so well in this book, and that it's really only separated into four sections, and that is alliums, vegetables, seasoning, and kitchen essentials. And and to have something like that, what, is it ranked in order of what you think is most important? Like, do you think alliums are the core and foundation of all of your cooking, or do they just have to be the first thing understood because of some kind of philosophy behind interpreting those? Well, I guess a little bit of both. Um, um, it was always intended to be a book about vegetables, and at a certain point, uh, the garlic was there, but it wasn't necessarily in a chapter of its own. But as we began to put the book together, you know, what... Once you get the manuscript turned in, there's a lot more work to do, as you know. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it was my editor who came up with the idea to put the alliums in their own compartment, and it was really a brilliant idea. I could say it was my idea. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> or maybe we decided together. Yeah. Uh, no, but um, because they are, you know, the, the building the building blocks of all of all cooking. You know, your onions, your shallots, your garlic, your Leeks, your scallions, your chives. Um, um, but it's aside from just being sort of the you know sort of the building block. It's nice to think of them as being an end in themselves. So, like for instance, I've been making this onion tart. It's pretty much you know it's pretty much pizza dough uh, and a lot of onions, um, a little bit of bacon, uh, just for good measure, a little uh, flamkuchen. Something like that, but it's awfully, awfully good. And what are you using? Basically, uh, fl- you know, a bag of flour and a bag of onions, and it's something delicious. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the recipes because it, it's so broad in that you can use garlic for pan con tomate, just rubbing a little bit of bread, a little fatunta, a little grilled bread, and it exalts that to a whole nother level. Or, you know, with parsley, garlic makes a wonderful persiade. Um, then you can roast it whole heads, you can confit it, you can make chips. You know, it's in sauces like scordalia, aioli, and soups that are Oaxacan provincial and, and garlic and tomato, you know, uh, mashup. But, you know, it, it's the breath of the cuisines these things can happen in too, which I find so exciting. I just read your most recent Grub Street Diet and seeing you go and eat at GN Famous Foods or Caracas or Rapist Bar or Motorino for Pizza and Russ and Daughters even Il Buco Alimentari, you're going to find allium. You're going to find garlic and onions in, in those In every one of those spots, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, you don't always... You recognize it as a flavor, but you don't always recognize it as important. Well, yeah, there's a through line. You yeah. Know? It's like that. that's culturally... or multiculturally binding some, somehow. But uh, even, I mean, even a, a, a particular spice like cumin... Uh, which you think of the first thing you think maybe is Mexican, but um, then you have to say but 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 Moroccan, but then oh actually northern Chinese, which is kind of really interesting because you don't one doesn't necessarily think of cumin and and Chinese cuisine in the same breath, but there it is. Yeah, that's at what Western the Uyghur cuisine that yeah. has you know even tomato sauce yeah. introduced into it. But I, I, I'd love to kind of walk with you in a in a green market and have that historical tour because I feel like you point out vegetables in such a fresh and enlightening way that they're not just what they are they have so much context hmm. 
depending on what you're going to do with them. So when you see something like, I don't know, celery, what do you think to yourself? My, that's delicious celery, or is it... No, I'm going to treat that in a way that is this or treat that in a way that is that. Is it seasonal? Is it you have so many pathways now? Where do you go and how do you stop? Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 nothing necessarily anything uh, prescribed or or even intentional. <laughs> um, but uh, go to the market, you see celery, you start thinking about celery, but then you see celery root and then you think about, I don't know, I think about hey, um, I've always been told it's hard to grow celery uh, organically uh, in and without, and, uh, but I still try to look for organic celery instead because all those vegetables that soak up water that way, <laughs> you know, that are drinking, you want, it's, it's nicer to think about them not having had any chemicals. Uh, uh, but um, and then, I don't know, some simply... Sliced and sliced celery, drizzle of olive oil and a little salt is an awfully nice thing. Uh, but if you had a little anchovy and then you had another, you know, a few olives, you're pretty much you're getting toward a meal there. Um, but on the other hand, there's lots of other things to do with celery. Uh, I'm thinking about, I don't know, I'm thinking about celery, uh, sort of braised celery and a sweet and sour, sour celery and celery victor and uh funny old dishes like that but it's limitless and it's almost knowing where to stop and on that we're going to take a quick break and come right back this episode is brought to you by gustiamo.com an online retailer specializing in bringing real italian ingredients made by good italian farmers and food makers to pantries all over the united states Gustiamo.com is an independent company that imports everything themselves, from Sicilian ancient grain flour to balsamic saba, everyday vinegar, and sells directly to consumers at Gustiamo.com. Gustiamo.com is Solucione Perfecta for all of your holiday shopping. Their beautiful gift boxes come in all price ranges and are all filled with real Italian ingredients that will delight curious and adventurous chefs and non-chefs alike. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, a regular customer, and just ordered the O Sole Mio gift box because you can never have too much anchovy colatura. You can purchase the full range of gift boxes by going to gusiama.com and clicking on the blue gift icon. Have a big gift list this year? Send your list to gusiama.com and they will do the rest, making sure your gifts will arrive around the date you choose. Give anyone on your list a delicious holiday with Italian ingredients and products made with outstanding craftsmanship and source with care. Gusiamo.com is offering free shipping to the Food Scene listeners on their entire website through the 2017 holiday season. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O.com. At checkout, just use Gusti code, the Food Scene. Welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with David Tennis, and we're talking market cooking, his new book, which is a very simple philosophy, but uh, the the depth and structure behind this book is amazing. Um, we were talking about alliums and, and kind of like the core of that in, in cooking, garlics and onions, but it's an exploration in vegetables. Uh, and, you know, it's amazing what you can do with something like the simple cucumber. You can think of it almost like sukumono or sunomono in Japanese or in yogurt, but then, you know, you move over to the bean and that could be 
cooked in wood ovens or uh, turned into a gratin or... I mean, the exploration or the the expansiveness of a singular ingredient is wonderful, and it's so nice, and I'm going to use the word again, to have a compendium which you can reference for walking around the market and saying, that looks nice, now what do I do with it? Mm. How many people ask you that question? I have this, what do I do with it? Yeah, I get that that question a lot. But um, yeah, the market is no end of inspiration, really. Uh, It is a compendium, but uh, it's more of a sort of collection it's not it's not encyclopedic you know it doesn't touch on every aspect of every vegetable in the universe but um, there are only so many pages Uh, and we wanted to make sure to get a lot of beautiful uh, uh, photographs um, which the book is also filled with some I just want it to be an inspiring book I want people to look at it and say that looks delicious and it looks like I can make it Uh, that's the biggest bridge though you know people believing that they can make it. And again, I feel like it's so elemental in that you have a, you know, a chapter. I don't even want to call them chapters because you have a section or you have, you have a guide to peppers. And in that, uh, there's Mahamra, which is one of my favorite, like kind of Lebanese, uh, walnut spreads, but it's really about the pepper in that. Mm. And once you realize it's nothing but pepper, some spices, some walnuts and olive oil, I mean, it doesn't feel that overwhelming to make. I tried to make, Sure, there was no overwhelming recipe in this book. I mean, everything is easy. Um, it's not to say... It every, uh, uh, it's not dumbed down either. It's just uh, sometimes food doesn't have to be complicated uh, to be good. Or maybe always it doesn't need to be complicated to be good. Uh, but that's the, I mean, the, that's the kind of the overarching uh, desire is to just, well, for one thing, get people to cook. <laughs> and, and not to think it's a mysterious process, but that it's a you know it's, it's a process to engage in. Um, uh, and there's some there's some delight in actually making the food happen, yeah, as well as in the act of eating it. I, I love that you focus on these singular things too, because uh, I was a huge fan of your New York Times column, City Kitchen, and some of my favorites being braising beets, briskets. I didn't know it was all bees until I said it. Uh, but but you focus on these techniques and you don't necessarily, like you said, dumb it down or even simplify it, but you kind of express how simple it really is. And, you know, the complexity that comes out of following this technique that is ingrained in some kind of civilization, in some kind of food culture, um, and it tastes great because it's been perfected over thousands upon thousands of years. So it's not re- really in reinventing the wheel. It's just kind no, of not, not at all. giving it a new shape. Um, I'm trying to find the most accessible points, too, I think. you know, There is a lot of cooking that is very complex and very time-consuming and very, uh, well, still fun. But um, it doesn't... It, uh, that's another kind of book. You're going to do that eventually, the complex <laughs> side of everything. Oh, yeah. But w- what do you think is the uh, most complex recipe in the whole book? Which, again, doesn't feel like a stretch. Um, I don't know. I, you may see some recipes that seem to have a long list of, of spices or something. But when you break it down, you say, oh, well, that's just, that's just 10 spices. Um, and everything else is, you know, there's an onion and there's a piece of meat and there's a piece of... You know, there's some carrots. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at the Moroccan cuisine and the souk, yeah, or creating a masala, um, once you have that, you also have that 
for a while and you can replicate that dish without having to go through that spice blend again. It's becoming familiar with certain, uh, you know, certain aspects. Uh, I'm just learning how to use them in your, in, in your own kitchen. Um, and I don't, I don't pretend to be, you know, an expert in every uh, cuisine for that matter, but I'd like to learn from other cuisines and I try to incorporate them into my, into my own cooking because I'll, a lot of it has to do with just uh, having bright tasting food. Uh, and sometimes having bright tasting food is actually, well, a lot of it has to do with whether uh, it's been out of the ground for 20 days or one day um, uh, because uh, the freshness kind of dwindles. Um, but also about tasting, tasting as you go and figuring out that, you know, oh, if I put the salt in earlier, uh, the dish will taste more balanced, but if I have to add it at the end, it just tastes sharp. So, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's very it sounds like very delicious trial and error. Well, a lot of cooking is. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, you can have a cookbook that teaches you step by step how to do something, but still, until you actually do it with your own hands, um, and when you're first doing it with your own hands, and it is a little bit trial and error. It's like, did I? Next time I'll cut the onion smaller, something you know, something something like that. But uh, someone recently told me um, they had written a recipe, and someone came up to them and said, "Oh, you know, it didn't work out well. Well, how many times did you cook it? Once. Cook a recipe more than once. You know, read a book and cook a recipe thrice, if not more, because you can kind of cater it to your own flavor profile as well. But then." You see the nuances. You see, you see the little techniques there. And like you said, you see when to salt and when to taste. And you have such gorgeous produce in front of you if you have access to you know, a, a nearby market. And more and more are popping up, and that's an excellent thing happening in this country. But you have to know what to do with it. And luckily, there's a book like Market Cooking by you, David Tennis, that does that for us. So thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, go out to the market, buy a whole bunch of produce, but... Prior to that, go out and buy this book so you know what to do with it. And again, thank you to David Tannis and Market Cooking. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Music by Cookies, David Tattashore Engineering. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.